You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 116. On today's show, we talk about ancient hazelnuts, artistic Neanderthals, and a Pompeian chariot. Let's dig a little deeper. All right, welcome to the show, everybody. We've got another news episode, and welcome, Rachel. Hello. So, three articles, as we do in the past. Three articles, three segments, and these are news articles we just find, and we don't really dig too deeply into these, just so people are understanding, because we want to discuss the article you're seeing and not go find, like, the source material or the source, you know, paper or something like that. We want to discuss it from the point of view of, and critically from the point of view of the audience. Yeah, and sometimes we'll point out what we think the media did wrong about an article, too, because I think it's important to, like, keep media in check and make sure that they're reporting these stories correctly. And you'll see in some of them, some of your favorite things get thrown around, like archaeologists are shocked (laughs) and stuff like that. Your favorite kind of headline. I love it when they're baffled. (laughs) Yep. And this first article is from Scotland and it's titled Hazelnut Shell Sheds Light on Life in Scotland More Than 10,000 Years Ago. And I think, spoiler alert, the life it sheds is that they were eating hazelnuts. So that's what light it sheds. The life it sheds? The life it sheds. Yes, the life it sheds. <laughs> yes. The light it sheds is that they were eating hazelnuts more than 10,000 years ago, which actually is kind of cool because something that I can do today, I don't feel like people could do 10,000 years ago. It seems all weird to be connected that, by hazelnuts. Yeah, that connection to the people of the past is weird and cool all at the same time. I mean, did an ancient Highland Scot who was all just like crazy and gruff <laughs> and just like in the Highlands actually squish some hazelnuts and like invent Nutella? Okay, well, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of things wrong with what you just said, but <laughs> but they didn't have chocolate, so no. Oh, yeah, that's Chocolate right. didn't come along mm-hmm. until it's from the New World, right? So, well, I think yeah. in the archaeology I read about, the Vikings brought it back from Mexico and then... The you, really? Scots made. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> You're totally making all that up. <laughs> so we I'm so gullible. We used to have a pseudo archaeology podcast on on the network. Uh-huh. It's still on there. You can find it. It's now called Pseudo Archaeology. It was Archie Fantasies. If you want to go find archaeological fantasies, mm-hmm. um, she's still producing episodes. But it used to be on this network. And I thought, man, we should have a pseudo archaeology show, but like where we make stuff up wholesale. <laughs> <laughs> like we just we don't debunk pseudo archaeology. We just, just make, make it stuff up. up. Do you want to like? Spread Sprinkle some truth like throughout it, though. Right. You know, like, find the truth. With <laughs> yeah. The membership. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> we'll send you a postcard. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway, they radiocarbon dated the hazelnut shell that they found and said that it dated to sometime between 8,547 and 8,312 BC. That's oddly specific for that yep. old of radiocarbon dating. It is very specific, yeah. Yeah. Making them on the earliest known evidence of humans return to the area after ice age glaciers receded. And that's one of the big things of this story here is it didn't seem like they really knew when people, when people came or yeah. at least at least that date's been pushed back right like they thought it was this date now it looks like this date mm-hmm. because scotland you know it's on the northern tip of the uk yeah and uh it was very much covered by glaciers right so yeah and the interesting part about it too is that this shell was actually found by a group of volunteers mm-hmm. from a an archaeological dig project, I guess, called yeah. Can You Dig It? Which it's a community program and it is done in the Gal- Galloway Glens area of Scotland on a property called the Threve Estate. And they've been excavating there for like many years apparently and they have things on that site that span all different time mm-hmm. frames. I think this hazelnut shell is the oldest thing that they've found so far. Yeah. But they have, I mean, the house itself was built in the 1800s, 1871. So, like, they've got stuff on that property from eight, well, 10,000 years ago, yeah. <laughs> all the way up to, to 1800s. So, it's a property with lots of different time periods. Which I would just kind of expect of any property in the UK, right? Maybe not yeah. all of Europe, but someplace like the UK that has been relatively continuously inhabited for the last 10,000 years. Mm-hmm. You would think that you could just dig just about anywhere because it's a relatively small landscape compared to some others. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of places you can go, realistically, and everybody's going to gravitate to the areas that are either, you know, where they can find resources better. Right. So lakes, rivers are, are obvious ones, places where you can farm, mm-hmm. you know, places where you can you can find game where they're going to be, stuff like that. And, you know, back in hunter-gatherer times, they would be, you know, following the, the seasonal migrations like, like they do across the planet. And then when they get a little more sedentary, then following, you know, along those normal patterns of where you're going to live. Mm-hmm. We still do that now. Yeah. Look at all our big cities are all along the coast and near water yeah i mean like people still want to be (laughs) people still want (laughs) to be in these specific places for i mean now it seems like it's because they're nice places to be by water by mountains whatever but you know back in the day it was all about resources right so phoenix is going to be the one city in like a thousand years when this is all buried under sand (laughs) that that people are future archaeologists can be like what was this is this like some big experiment why are people here yeah yeah. so so hot I mean literally everything else is based around resources yeah cities are in places where you have access to that stuff because it's expensive to truck it in Mm -hmm. yeah but like modern day we don't have to be restricted by that and you know there's a lot of they still have water problems well they do and they spray it through the air when it's in the summertime so there you go but anyway this is really cool Uh, we've been to Scotland a few years ago for the the EAA conference and drove around it for a week, mm-hmm. uh, which was actually kind of a cool concept. A place with such history, we literally rented a car and drove around the entire, you know, Scottish part country. Of the, yeah, yeah. Northern part I of the mean, country. Obviously, there were places that we missed, but we basically did a big circle route. We didn't hit the islands on the, was that the west and northern sides? No, we couldn't quite get out yeah. there. We didn't have time for that. But, and we didn't go all the way up into the highlands either. Like, we just couldn't. Mm-hmm. So we started in 
Edinburgh and kind of like did a big circle up through Inverness and then back down mm-hmm. to Glasgow where we yeah. were at for the Over conference. to Aberdeen on the east and then yeah. kind of through the through the highlands yeah. to Inverness. Yeah. 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 It was pretty cool. And it was it was a fun thing to do. And there's so much just history, history. there. Mm-hmm. But I want to talk real quick about the volunteer dig as well. Cause I mean, we could keep talking about ancient hazelnuts, which is kind of neat. And but we've basically said all that the article says. Yeah. yeah. Like I think they kind of just found a hazelnut shell and not a whole lot else, really. Just, yeah. just that. So, yeah. It, the article does say that, and again, this is just from the article, but there are signs of human life in what is now Scotland um, that date back to around 12,000 BC. Mm. So... It's interesting that they say that this is some of the earliest signs of life after the glaciers receded, but that we also have evidence of human life going back to 12,000 BC. Yeah. So, but they think they abandoned the region during what they call the Loch Lomond Stadial. Loch means lake in Scotland, and Loch Lomond is a lake. Mm-hmm. Um, and a stadial, I believe, was like a like an interglacial period where, or a glacial period. You've got your interglacial periods where it kind of recedes a little bit, and then the stadials, I believe, are the ones where it it advances again. It said it, it said that glaciers oh, regrew and temperatures okay. became extremely cold. Right. So there were people and then glaciers came over and said, nope, not yep. today. And then for about 2000 years and or a little over a thousand years and then they receded again right. and people moved back into that area. And then they didn't come back again. So it was. Yeah. I mean, the whole place is kind of cold now. So <laughs> yeah. I'm willing to bet that people were probably living pretty close to the glaciers at all times. And yeah. just like as they receded, they're like, hey, look, land over there. We, yep. we can move out that way now. Let's take it. <laughs> yeah. So, and you know, near the glaciers, I mean, when you've got glacial melt and runoff, if those glaciers are receding, receding means melting mm-hmm. and melting means water and water means vegetation and, and animals life. and life. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, sure. under the glaciers was a pretty inhospitable environment because it just destroys the landscape, but stuff grows back real fast in that environment. Yeah, for so sure. I would imagine. Oh, and also like the entire... Midwest of the United States is so fertile. It's it's where we grow everything that we mm-hmm. have because of the glacial lust, it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, the That silty stuff that develops in front of the glaciers, glaciers as they recede. It's windy there. It brings in all this silt mm-hmm. and it's just very fertile. I would imagine it's like that pretty much everywhere. Yeah, probably. Anyway, that was really cool. I'm wondering... A little more about hazelnuts now. Like, where do hazelnuts actually come from? Where are they? I don't know. I mean, clearly they've been around for a long time. And is it just the kind of thing that's kind of everywhere? Like certain yeah. trees and bushes, you just kind of see them all over the planet. Is there, yeah. Like, is there a, a specific tree that produces a hazelnut? Maybe we should have looked this up. Well, yeah, a hazelnut I don't know. comes from a tree. Yeah, but like, but what kind of tree is it? It's not a hazelnut tree, right? Like, what is it? Yeah, I mean, it's the nut of yeah. the hazel tree, tree? That, the hazel tree, I guess, <laughs> produces the hazelnut. So there you go. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, a couple more notes about the project area, because it is a volunteer-run dig, and they they kind of just focus on excavating whatever this property will, will give them, it mm-hmm. seems like. And there's also an archaeological site known as the Little Wood Hill, which is a D-shaped enclosure on top of a hill. It dates to 41 BCE to 125 CE. So that is apparently a pretty extensive site and it's pretty important. So Mm -hmm. there's that one. And then in addition to that, over the years, they found lots of different artifacts from different time periods. Flints dating to early Bronze Age. There was a lead shot that dated to between the 16th and 18th century. So they kind of have stuff from all over, all different time periods and... 
yeah, kind of a neat site. Yeah. And it's it's a really cool way to allow like amateur people who are just interested in the field to get their hands in it and really, really do it. But they do have professional archaeologists, you know, like managing the whole thing, too. So, yeah, and I think it's weird that yeah, as professional archaeologists, I've had conversations with other professional archaeologists about volunteer archaeologists and and other digs like that where you've got unpaid people coming mm-hmm. in. It's weird because there's no volunteer physicists out there. There's no volunteer medical doctors, right? I mean, there's like volunteer EMTs and stuff like that for sure in rural yeah, areas, but yeah. it's not like a enthusiast type profession in other places, but archaeology has one of those. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of people that get a little upset about that because they're like, you know, there are paid people that are trying to do this for a living that can't because people are willing to do it for free. Yeah. But that being said, but that being said, if you don't have these types of volunteer opportunities, then people don't get a chance to listen, to learn about these sites and to take that knowledge and that, that fun that they had doing that and go bring it over to their other friends and family who may mm-hmm. not go out and do a dig, but they might go learn about something. Yeah. So you know, a lot of what we do is is hidden behind paywalls and papers and stuff yeah. like that. And, and a lot of this information doesn't get out unless it hits an article like this or it hits some kind of you know Discovery Channel show that blows everything out of proportion. And yep. it's nice to have, I guess, firsthand experience for people that you know they can actually do that. Yeah, and they get to experience like the real excavation because yeah. it's not as glamorous as you might think when you watch, you know, Indiana Jones and stuff like that. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, you're actually getting dirty when you're doing an excavation and there's a lot of boring days where you're yeah. just scraping away at nothing too. So right. that's just, that is what it is. But then you have these days where you find <laughs> a 10,000 year old hazelnut shell hey. and that's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, just real quick before we end the segment. My field school, uh, well, first off, archaeologists almost always take some kind of field school while they're in college because they're encouraged to do so. And field school basically just teaches you, get you out in the field, mm-hmm. realistically, and you do you do archaeology. Uh-huh. And you're basically volunteers, too. In fact, Ye- you, well, you pay, pay to go. Yeah. So, like, yeah, you, pay to you go. can't hate on volunteer stuff yeah. too much. <laughs> and you pay because you're getting credit. Usually yeah, it's through universities, yeah, yeah. so you're paying for yeah. college credits, and that's what you're really mm-hmm. paying for. And there's also, like, a lab fee that helps to pay your, uh, you know, your living expenses yeah. while you're out there. So... My field school was like legit a volunteer thing. It was through Earthwatch, which mm-hmm. some of you may have heard of. And if you're interested in archaeology or just getting out and doing some real science, check out Earthwatch because it was the only way I found that I could get to do one of my passions, which is paleoanthropology. And Earthwatch took me to Tanzania mm-hmm. and Kenya, and specifically Tanzania, over to Olduvai Gorge to dig early hominid remains. Mm-hmm. So we didn't find any, but we found some really cool stuff. And you know that was almost two million years old. Yeah, and it was uh, it was a really neat time. And I couldn't have done it without Earthwatch. Now that you know, without airfare, that cost me like five thousand yeah. dollars. But Africa is an expensive place to get to. Yeah, not too expensive once you get there. Yeah, but it's expensive to get there, and they needed a lot of research funding. And everybody who paid to be there paid for that research for three weeks. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty cool thing. So check out Earthwatch. Yeah, it's a great way to you know volunteer and help support the research and also get your hands in it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's take a break, and we're going to switch gears and come back and talk about 
Neanderthals again. I feel like we talk about Neanderthals a lot. Like every other episode. <laughs> yeah. And a relatively new group, really just in the last like 10 years, the Denisovans. Back in a minute. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com and use the code TAS. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Okay, welcome back to episode 116, everybody. This time we are switching gears a little bit, going to go, you know, 40,000-ish or so years further into the past <laughs> and talk about Neanderthals and Denisovans and their contribution to art, to early human art. All right. Wait just a minute. <laughs> yes. Can we talk about the word Neanderthal and why we're pronouncing it that way? Of course. Because everybody goes back and forth. Even people yeah. in the business, they go back and forth for two reasons. One, it's spelled Neanderthal. Right. Okay, so it's spelled that way. And for a really long time, that's how people in Western-speaking countries, like English-speaking English countries, countries yeah. said it. And I don't know mm -hmm. if the British always said it right, but definitely over here in America, I yeah. even heard it's pronounced that way when I was in college. I remember it in college, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it's it's like a mental shift for me to yeah. force myself to do Neanderthal instead of Neanderthal. So. Right. So the reason it's actually pronounced Neanderthal is, and this is how it was explained to me, and I, to be honest, never verified this, but I, I learned it in school, so it must be true, but... <laughs> Neander is the name of the valley where right. where Neander, the first Neanderthal skeleton or, or remains was first found and identified. So it's the Neander Valley in Germany. And Tall, T-H-A-L-S, is like high German for valley. Mm, okay. So it's Neanderthal or Neander Valley. I mean, so that's it's a German word it and that's just how it is pronounced in German. So yeah. therefore, Neanderthal. Yeah, and I'm willing to bet we're probably pronouncing Neander wrong, too, but nobody talks about that one. I've never heard that sort of pronunciation from a German, right? It doesn't have a or a uh in it, right? So I'm pretty sure we're pronouncing it wrong. I think we're doing the best we can as English speakers, and if we just make sure and do tall instead of thal, we're, we're, we're doing good. Right. All right. So back to that. I just, I just wanted to let everybody know we are pronouncing it right, and that's why. Yeah. So... Back to the article from from the little tangent there. We know that Neanderthals 
overlapped and interbred with humans. And then there's this other group called the Denisovans who are also around at the same time. We don't know as much about them. It sounds like they're new to the record. I actually don't know a lot. Do you know a lot about that group? Not a ton. And I mean, the first Denisovan was identified, like I said, less than 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah I first heard I about it at a conference mm-hmm. and I want to say it was from a tooth and it was like they were able to extract DNA or something like that. Or was I it think a bone? It, I think it's like a finger bone okay, or something. Okay. Yeah. But yes, a very small little yeah. thing. Yeah. They found more since then. Yeah. Um, but this was out in Siberia in that area that the Denisovans were first identified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we they all overlap. So this is what we know. And there might have even been other groups of humans too. I'm or, sure like there were. Pre, pre-humans, I guess you could say. No, uh, I mean, kind of. Or yeah. different branches of, you know, human type species. Right. So anyway, they all overlapped. And this article is saying that there's this overlapping time period about like 50,000 years ago and then up to 38 to 40,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. There's just this like surge of creativity and an explosion of art as much as there can be when you're talking about artifacts that we don't have a whole lot of to begin with. But there's this surge of creativity and it just shows that it's very obvious that there must have been an exchange of ideas between these different groups and that they are pushing along this artistic development amongst all of the species together. And no Neanderthals and Denisovans did not survive humans did, but they took the humans that did survive and become us took these ideas that came from both Neanderthals and Denisovans, which is neat. And again, these, you know, cavemen deserve more credit than they're given. (laughs) That's my favorite part about these stories always (laughs) is that they need to be given more credit. (laughs) Yeah. Now let's unpack this a little bit, right? Yeah. So first the word surge or, you know, and they actually say led to a surge in creativity. According to a leading academic who they don't mention, but yeah. uh, oh, they do. Tom Tom Higman here. Now that's okay to use that phraseology because when we're talking about a really long time span here, if you saw nothing before and then all of a sudden a within bunch. a span of two to twelve thousand years, you see lots of stuff, mm-hmm. right? That is considered a surge in geological times, but it's still twelve thousand years, yeah, right? That we're talking about all these things that were that were found between these three groups. Yeah, okay, sure. It was a surge in the context of there was nothing before that, right. but it's not really a surge. I think it's more tied to, well, Well, first off, another thing that this is all kind of related to is mental development, right? So mm-hmm. they always talk about that, you know, were the, were the brains of these creatures coming along to the point of, well, now someone was able to kind of think about this stuff and right. they started actually doing some different things. But leading along that line, I think it comes along with just the the like the innovation principle, right? Somebody comes up with something that nobody really thought of before, and this happens today. It happens now, mm-hmm. but somebody comes up with something that nobody really thought of before, and then all of a sudden the light bulb goes off for fifty other people that were on the verge of having that thought, and you get this massive creativity in that space. Mm-hmm. I mean, to take a modern example, look at the smartphone. Yeah, you know, BlackBerry was producing like smartphones before Apple ever really thought about getting into the phone space, and then Apple puts together the first iPhone and it was the first like full screen, you know, something like that. And now there's 400 of them on the market. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can find them all over the place and you can find cheap ones. You can get them out of vending machines in Japan. I mean, you can just. (laughs) So are you saying that you think that humans brought art to Neanderthals and Denisovans or do you think that it was happening independently 
amongst the three and that they create the exchange of ideas help push it forward. I personally don't think we have enough data to say who did it first. Yeah. But I think that all of them had the mental capacity to understand this kind of stuff. Yeah. It's just that no one had done it. Yeah. And when somebody started drilling into mammoth tusks mm-hmm. or etching or incising something and then someone else saw it and said, man, that is super cool. We got tons of mammoth tusks, tusks out back of our cave too. Mm-hmm. Let's go back and play with them. Yeah. I mean, you know? that's how all creativity and how all art happens really i mean you're always inspired by something even if it's nature but often it's what you see other people doing so it just makes sense that they would interact with each other see what others are doing and then start to build on it and create their own versions of art well the interesting thing about stuff like this is i think we're calling it art because it was you know art is inherently less functional and more decorative and and it makes a statement right yeah so when people had the time and capacity and mental ability to start making stuff that really had no other purpose other than to say look what i did Mm -hmm. now maybe they were wearing these as as ornamental things or something like that and that elevated some sort of status yeah Yeah. so so that could have been the actual purpose behind it to see you know how how ornate could you get? You know, mm-hmm. how different and, and by ornate you really just mean different. How yeah. different were you from the other people or the common people or even the tribe next door that you could do this kind of thing? Well, they could have been using these decorative and I think decorative might be a better word for it than art, but they could have been using these decorative things to to show lots of different things because they've mm-hmm. got examples of perforated teeth, you know, shells that were probably pendants, but they were also using pigments and and colorants and for painting for cave art and cave painting and that is less you can't wear that right so it's Mm -hmm. not like it was a status thing for an individual that feels more like it was going into that like spiritual religious yeah direction potentially maybe so there's just that that whole like development of that whole side of things is happening with this yeah and taking the article down a little bit further here there's a paragraph where the one of the lead researchers was quoted as saying if our groups were interbreeding meaning neanderthals denisovans and and early modern homo sapiens Mm -hmm. then cultural transfer the exchange of ideas thoughts and language that's what cultural transfer is may well also have been happening humans are good at picking up new ideas Mm -hmm. now I don't have any doubt that that was happening, but the way he says it makes it sound like it was, you know, they were meeting at a conference near Stonehenge and saying, hey, check out, you know, all this and, and all right, we'll see you guys next year, <laughs> you know, well. but, but interbreeding and cultural transfer can happen through rape and war. Well, sure. I mean, I mean it was happening lots of different ways, I'm sure. I, I'm just saying, I don't know that it was necessarily a, a meeting of the species and going, you oh, guys are cool. Yeah. Let's take this and let's collaborate. I, and I don't want to say they weren't doing that yeah but also let's just let's just look at the evidence and leave it at that it looks like they had some similar ideas and maybe they mm-hmm. came to those together or maybe those were developed independently maybe they were stolen you know like there's maybe a lot of yeah, yeah yeah that's a really good point it is a very like kumbaya hippie right. kind of perspective to think that they were getting together and i don't know having drum yeah. circles and talking about their latest art projects like that's not well, and, <laughs> and sometimes the environment just just puts together the environment and mental development just come together in a bunch of different ways and people come up with these ideas independently. Mm-hmm. Look at spear points and the bow and arrow and stuff like that. That was actually independently invented yeah. many, many, many times across times. the planet. Yeah, for but sure. But the funny thing is those those independent inventions weren't 100,000 years apart from each other. They all took place in a very short span of time. Right. Which is real interesting. Yeah. And I don't know why that is, but that's what it is. Well, they, so. they needed meat. 
They did. And, you know, here in here in uh, in the United States and North America, I think the common thought, I don't know if it still is, but the common thought that that was basically tied to like the megafauna die off because and whether or not the megafauna were killed off because of the Ice Age or because we killed them off. I Mm -hmm. think that's still a debate. But and by we, I mean humans. Mm -hmm. But when they started having to you know, go for smaller game, the smaller game were hard to hit with a spear. Yeah. Yeah. You needed, you needed something with more accuracy. Basically. You needed something. They had yeah. the atlatl, which you could, which is basically a spear you could throw with a, with another mm-hmm. stick, basically for lack of a way to say that. Look it up. It's ATL, ATL. Mm-hmm. It's not Atlanta, Atlanta. It's atlatl. <laughs> and it's not atl, atl either. It's atlatl. But anyway, so look that up. They're pretty cool. I've actually got one. And then from there, it's like, okay, well, I can throw this spear really far now with this thing, with basically this club, but how can I get it even farther? Yeah. You know, and they would have noticed at some point, you know, through clothing or something else that you could use a string to, you know, mm-hmm. shoot something. And then I think they probably had something like slingshots well before they had a bow. Yeah, probably. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't have taken that much to think, wow, we got these really bendy sticks over here and look at this string. Mm-hmm. Let's make a small spear mm-hmm. and shoot it with that. Yeah. Hence the Humans bow and arrow. are nothing if not innovative, right? So yeah, yeah so. for sure. Well, back to the article real quick. I thought it was, again, not knowing a lot about Dennis Sovins, I thought it was interesting to see pictures of some of their artifacts. And if you go to the show notes and head to this article that we're talking about, you can see them. But they were making rings and beads out of mammoth tusks and also out of ostrich eggshells. So I thought that was pretty cool. And yeah, yeah, it's neat. And another point that the article made that I, I really liked was that when we find a decorative item out, in you know excavation somewhere if there's no other evidence with that decorative item i think what this is saying is that we cannot assume that it came from early modern human homo sapiens because we have evidence of these art items from other groups and now mm-hmm. like in the past it was like oh well this is a shell bead so therefore it must be human but no we can't we can't assume that anymore we have to you know wonder which of the three or more groups that it came from. Yeah, I think personally you'd have to look at the sheer number of sites. If you've got, you know, if every, you know, early modern human site in a certain area has has these attributes and, and you know it's early modern human from remains or whatever, mm-hmm. and, it, and they all have these things, you have to assume that they created them. Mm-hmm. But if only a handful have these things and yet a whole bunch of Denisovan or Neanderthal sites have these other things, then you have to assume they were either traded, transferred, or stolen. Yep. Yeah, for <laughs> so, sure. Yep. Yeah. I but mean, that's, if, just, that's if, just math. Yeah. If nothing else... We know for sure that they were exchanging ideas and information and probably bodily fluids since, you know, we all yeah. have we all have yeah. a little bit of Neanderthal in us. That's so right. there some you of go. Us more than others. <laughs> yes. Some of us. <laughs> I have heard that that is a good use of the word Neanderthal is when you talk about somebody's like ancient facial features or huh. mentality. Like, oh, you're such a Neanderthal. Like, that is a proper use of that word I've heard. I don't know oh, if I believe that I've or not. I've never heard that before. But when you're actually talking about the people, mm-hmm. Neanderthals, you say Neanderthal. Oh. So, so like, oh, my husband, he's such a Neanderthal. Tall. Well, I prefer to be called tall well, because I'm I respect that, the people. Well, I'm saying that you're a caveman <laughs> <laughs> who makes art, apparently. <laughs> yeah. I'll take, I'll take artistic caveman. <laughs> Anyway, this has gone off the rails, so maybe we should move on to segment three, because we're going to change gears here and look at a chariot that they found in Pompeii. Ah, Pompeii. 
You may have heard my pitch for membership. It's a great idea and really helps out. However, you can also support us by picking up a fun t-shirt, sticker, or something from a large selection of items from our T Public store. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash shop for a link. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop to pick up some fun swag and support the show. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 116. And as Rachel said, we are now going to talk about Pompeii. And I'm starting to feel like... It has, if anybody likes these news episodes, you should go check out Stone Pages Archeo News. Uh, I, they're not putting out as many episodes as they used to, but it's still got a great resource for stuff. But there always was a joke on there when David Connolly was was hosting the show, and he's a Scotsman. <laughs> and it, it's like every week it was like, what's the Stonehenge article they're going to talk about? <laughs> right. And I feel like with us, it's almost the Pompeii article. It's like, it, well, it, there's three things. You know what they are that we talk about <laughs> almost that? too much? Pompeii. Neanderthals and Stonehenge. That's right. But it's the things that people are interested in. It's the things that make it into the news cycle. It's the stuff that gets out there for people to learn about. Mm-hmm. So we're just riding that train, I guess. And what is the word used to describe archaeologists in this particular article? <laughs> they are wowed. Wow. Archaeologists are wowed. How can you be wowed? I, be- I believe I saw the word miraculously in the title of one oh of the articles, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a lot of sensationalism around these finds sometimes. And I have to be, okay, totally honest here. I looked at the picture. I had to look at like four different write-ups of this article to find all the different pictures of this thing that I possibly could. You guys really need to go check out the picture. Because I just like don't see a chariot in the picture. Like I can't see it. And I know they're still excavating it and it's not done yet or whatever. But to me, it looks like a blob of rock with some mm-hmm. carvings on it. But yeah, I mean, I can see wheels. Can and you? I just, I'm not, I'm struggling yeah, to see that. Yeah, there's two little lines in front here, basically wheels, it are looks they? like. And then you've got the thing somebody stood in up top. When they say chariot, I think it would have been a chariot. Uh, it says intact cer- ceremonial chariot. Mm-hmm. And it looks like one that would only have held maybe one or two people. Oh, it actually yeah. says that too. It does. And yeah, I, yeah like for uh, weddings and things like that, I'm guessing yeah. to bring the couple in or whatever. Yeah. Well, and I think, and you know, one of the archaeologists that was just talked to about this, I don't think he had anything to do with it, is Eric Poehler. Was, who, was he wowed? He was probably wowed. He was astounded, actually. <laughs> it says right here. Um, this is Eric's comment. Uh-huh. Eric's been on. I've interviewed Eric before oh. and met him at a conference. Mm-hmm. Um, he's at UMass Amherst and uh, he does a lot of Pompeii stuff. He actually was one of the first that did a lot of early bringing iPads to Pompeii oh, and digital archaeology. Cool. Yeah. So, anyway, 
I think they can probably tell without excavating it too far that is the, quote, Lamborghini of chariots, which I'll comment on that in a second, but <laughs> that it was the Lamborghini of chariots because they have a lot of chariots from that time period. Yes. And and they yeah. know that this one, even just by uncovering a little bit of it, was dramatically different. Yeah, they do know it was special. And I, I did read that, that they, uh, from a, a researcher that specializes in basically transportation. Yeah at Pompeii and she was saying that there's tons of of chariots and wagons and things like that Mm -hmm. that were everyday examples Mm -hmm. but this is just something more special because of the artwork on it there's cherubs and satyrs and a bunch of different stuff carved on it really beautiful carvings so it's decorated in a in a very ornate yes a very ornate way that's perfect word yeah yeah yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I, it'd be nice to see when they get this all done and what kind of a reconstruction of it would look like, you know? Yeah. Because it's just a, it is a pretty cool thing. I object a little bit to calling it the Lamborghini of chariots because <laughs> it's more like the Rolls Royce of chariots. Because I don't uh, think it was like a high performance yeah, chariot. Yeah. You know, was well, it that like, special? I mean, you're you're showing your car nerd a little bit right now. I, mean, I think most everybody gets what they're saying about Lamborghini. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Yeah. Lamborghini's kind of a sports car. And I guess yeah. if this were a, now they did have, you know, Colosseums, just like there was, there was a Colosseum in like every big Roman town, mm-hmm. not just not just Rome, mm-hmm. you know. So they raced chariots, and I would imagine the racing chariots when you got down to the champions, not like when they put slaves out there being chased by lions, no. but you know when you <laughs> wasn't had, that only in the Bible? <laughs> I, I think that actually happened. Though. Well, maybe, yeah, but. <laughs> When you have people racing chariots, I mean, the people that would race those were, you know, the sports icons of the day. And I mm-hmm. would imagine they had the best chariots you could possibly yeah, have, like yeah. high performance chariots. Yeah. That's what I would call the Lamborghini of chariots, like a high performance chariot. And what does that even look like? <laughs> you know, it's made with the I, best I, olive branches. I totally understand what you're saying. They yeah. must have been. It's like a high performance bike, right? Like a bike right. that, that Lance Armstrong or somebody less yeah. controversial is is riding. Yeah. And if this was ceremonial. It wouldn't certainly wouldn't be high performance. It would just no, look really ornate. No, it's just beautiful. Yeah. That's why All right, fine. It's the Rolls Royce. It's, it's the Rolls Royce. Why don't you email your buddy Eric? <laughs> he was just commented and, on. It wasn't yeah, but, him. No, he's the one who called it the Lamborghini. I think oh, in did that he quote. Call it? I oh, think he man. did. All yeah. Right. Just you Eric. know, drop him a line. <laughs> correct. Yeah. Correct his use of luxury vehicles. <laughs> well, right after that, he says this is an outright fancy, fancy car. Yeah. AKA Rolls Royce, Eric. Okay. Dr. Polar. Man, you're just going for it. <laughs> All right. Well, so a little bit about the actual preservation of this Lamborghini. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rolls Royce. I mean, Chariot. Wow. <laughs> and as we see in Pompeii, all of the time, like it's such a unique set of circumstances that causes these things to be preserved the, the way they are. And the reason that this one is preserved is because the building it was in, it was parked in some kind of like outbuilding sort of thing at a, at a fancy estate, mm-hmm. essentially outside of Pompeii. And the walls collapsed around it from the weight of the ash and that preserved it perfectly. Mm-hmm. And the reason they're excavating it is because there's a lot of modern looting going on in this area and they're just trying to protect anything they can from the looters that are still, I don't understand how looting is still happening and they can't get it under control, but whatever, that's a totally different conversation. But there it's a big is, area and it's easy to get Yeah, into. I get, I mean, I guess that must be it. Yeah. But yeah, they're trying to stop looting from happening and there was looting in the area. They like right past it. They went right past it. They might've grazed the edge of it. They think the looters mm-hmm. did, but they just didn't realize what it was or kept moving. And the chariot was, you know, 
miraculously <laughs> preserved. Just like Sutton Who. <laughs> looters missed it. I know. Looters, man. Yeah. <laughs> looters are always ruining everything. So, man. but yeah, they that's this ongoing excavation that's happening at Pompeii. A lot of it is to protect the resources from being looted, basically. So, yeah. I almost did my math wrong here when they said it was buried by volcanic ash from Mount Vesuvius nearly 2,000 years ago. I was like, nearly? Isn't it over? Nope, it's not. Nope. 79 AD. Nope. So we're, we're getting close we're, to... We're almost 2,000. <laughs> yeah. Man, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to be like 104. Oh. Well, maybe. They do say that like our generation, people are going to start making it I past mean, 100 pretty easily, right? My internet brain will make it <laughs> because I'll have been uploaded by then, but I won't make it. Are so. we going to cryogenically freeze your... Your My brain, head. just like, just your brain, like Futurama. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right. So that's pretty cool. That's nice to see finds from Pompeii. Uh, I don't know if you've, any of your, our listeners have ever had a chance to go to Pompeii, but it's just such a, an amazing area. Rachel yeah. and I went a few years ago and I went actually the first time back in 1996 when I was in the Navy. And there were a few things that really stuck out of my mind when I did like the canned tour of Pompeii. Now, and, and I, I think back then you could only do it by tour, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. But now you can actually walk around on your own with like an audio tour, which is, isn't that what we did? Yeah, basically. They yeah. have a whole sections of it that you can walk through at your own yeah. speed, basically. But I think we had either headphones or we something had our own like headphones that. and an app or something. Yeah. And it was like, we could just, we could just listen to, to mm-hmm. stuff. But that was really neat. And I, my God, I remember it being so hot. It was August in Italy. It was so hot. Walking around. That there. would be the thing that you oh remember. My God. That is now what I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I don't but, remember it being that crazy, but But yeah. Pompeii is really cool. And I remember hearing back in 96 that only a small percentage of it had actually been excavated. And still uh, to today, there's a ton left to be excavated because yeah. Pompeii wasn't a small city and the whole entire thing was covered in ash. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of discoveries left to be made and we're kind of making fun of having a Pompeii article here. But I'll tell you what, we don't have... As good of an example of mm-hmm. early Roman history as we do at Pompeii. Yeah. Because everywhere else, people take their fancy stuff with them. They dismantle it. They yeah. destroy it. They whatever. But this was just life literally stopped. a snapshot like, in time. Life just stopped yeah. instantaneously. It's not, we're not seeing people's trash. We're seeing their everyday life. And that's what makes it so fascinating. And right. you know what? Every time these articles pop up, we're probably going to keep talking about it because it's really cool. Right. And I think we saw one article that said things were buried in boiling lava. Oh, which God. I, now, the mountain <laughs> is really close to Pompeii. And there is a chance. I don't actually know for sure. I'm not going to say that some things weren't actually covered in lava. But I'll tell you what. If this chariot had been covered in lava, not only would it not be, would it be impossible to excavate, yeah. but it would have melted. Yeah. I'm like, it's Journalists, journalists, come on, check your word use. Like everybody knows lava comes out of, you know, volcanoes, but it didn't bury everything there. It's ash. This was hot ash. And that's what most of Pompeii is covered in, which is why we're able to excavate it. Yeah. And still find things that are preserved. Yeah. You know, basically the way they were. That was bad journalism. In fact, fact, I didn't even link to that specific article (laughs) because I was so offended by the use of of boiling lava so there you go nice that's okay there's like 20 articles literally like every news source covered this when it first came out so you mm-hmm. know i picked a couple to share but there's there's tons of them on the internet so nice yeah all right well if uh 
you've got anything fun to say about Pompeii, let us know. So, yeah, I'd love to hear it. I think if you're linking to both articles here, the Smithsonian Magazine article has a, a much better like top town top down view of the it does chariot. Yeah. Even with like I don't know if one of the wheels is just like broken or if it's turning. Yeah. Because it looks like it looks like they're actually turned. Yeah, that was the article or that was the photo that helped me get a better yeah. idea of what I was seeing because the other one that was more up close. I just like couldn't wrap my brain around mm-hmm. what the construction looked like. And they do still need to excavate more to really, to really yeah, see I mean, it. It's but, completely yeah. filled in with ash. I can't yeah. imagine how long that's going to take. Cause that ash is like concrete yeah. later on. Yeah, totally. So anyway, that's it for this week's news articles. I'll leave you guys just with a couple notes about the archaeology podcast network. Please go check out the other shows we have on there. I'm always somewhat astonished when I hear somebody say, Oh, you have other shows. Yeah. Like, yeah. So there's some great ones. Yeah, exactly. So archaeology podcast network.com or arcpodnet.com. Check those out. We've got, I think 13 active shows, give mm-hmm. or take. We've got a couple more that we're in development on one starting in, in June and a couple more, maybe starting in the next couple months here, but we're always developing new shows and to help us develop those new shows. You can head over to arcpodnet.com forward slash Members. We just got a new annual member yesterday as we're oh, nice. recording this, and we, we very much thank you for that. Members get early access to shows. They're going to start getting exclusive access to something we're going to start a little bit later that's a little more interactive mm-hmm. and it's going to bring some pretty cool people to um, you know write to you in your home yeah. so you can so you can listen to them talk and ask them questions. But we're developing that now. But all that's coming down the line, and right now you can get early access to shows, commercial-free shows, if you're willing to listen to them online, and then also access to our Slack team, which is just a communication app that's free that allows you to uh, talk to our hosts and other members. Yeah, have a conversation about what you just heard. In fact, if you want to ask me or Chris questions, or if you yeah. have any like little knowledge drops for us, things that we don't know about the stuff that we mm-hmm. just talked about, um, if you're a member, you can go on Slack and, and share that with us, and then yeah. we'll, we'll share it on the next episode. Yeah, so, let's talk about it. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening, and come back next week. All right. See ya. Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. You can also find us on the Lyceum app, a podcast app just for educational podcasts. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US dollars a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. 
LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Fro. 